On June 3rd, 2019, at 3.15 a.m., 17-year-old Anthony Tomplay called the police to state that he shot his own father. He stated that after an early morning altercation with his father, who was drunk and aggressive, he shot him in self-defense. Anthony was very cooperative with authorities, and he never denied shooting his father. But what caused him to feel this act a necessity was unclear. Something that should have been an open and shut case soon turned into a whirlwind of twists and turns. Soon, news broke that Anthony was isolated and abused by his father constantly. One unexpected turn came to light when Anthony's long-lost half-sister revealed to authorities that Anthony had been abducted by Bert 11 years prior to this incident, making Anthony a missing person for more than a decade and making this case more complex. Was it now justifiable that he killed his father? Is he a danger to society? What could have transpired to make a son feel that the only way to escape his father's torment was by killing him? Welcome to another episode of Crimson Sin with Tamsin Lee. I am your host, Tamsin Lee. Full show notes and sources can be found at tamsinleecrimsonsin.podbean.com. This case refers to domestic violence a lot, so if you or anyone you know are experiencing domestic violence, you can find help. You can call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 800-799-7233. Again, that is 800 800- 799-7233. This hotline is available 24-7 and includes over 200 interpretation services. You can also text START, S-T-A-R-T, to 88788 to begin chatting with someone, or you can also visit their website at www.thehotline.org. And remember to always clear your browser history. These resources can also be found in today's show notes. Finding this story was a bit shocking because I live in Louisiana and I had not heard about it. I guess I've been living under a rock. I don't know. So it did surprise me to learn that this happened in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It's not anywhere near me, but still, I had no clue this happened. I mean, it's only a few hour drive from where I'm at, and I still didn't hear about it. This case gave a lot of mixed emotions at first, and was based basically on special circumstances. So with that in mind, let's jump into today's case. The night Anthony Tomplay called authorities to state that he killed his father, He told them that after an early morning altercation with his father, who was drunk and aggressive, Anthony shot him in self-defense. Officers dispatched to the scene stated that Anthony was very compliant, did everything that he was told to do, and showed very little to no emotions, which struck authorities as very odd. 
Authorities then entered the home through the carport, entering the home through the kitchen where they saw a revolver laying on the kitchen island with the hammer cocked back. Making sure that no one else was in the home, officers continued to make their way through the kitchen. When they made it to the master bedroom, authorities found another firearm laying on the bed next to a cell phone with the hammer back on it as well. The victim was laying in the hallway near the bathroom in a pool of blood, but still breathing. Paramedics soon arrived at the scene and moved him out of the bathroom area, loaded him up on a stretcher and brought him to the hospital. At 6.04 a.m., investigators began interviewing Anthony. Detectives noted that he was very calm and quiet. That's when he told investigators that he did not like his father. Anthony stated that his father insulted him quite a lot and was verbally abusive. To investigators, this was not something that would normally cause someone to shoot their parent. He further stated that his father would hold things over his head, was obviously abusive, and that he fucked up his education from the start. So they asked him, what happened the night before? What caused this outcome? Anthony stated that it was a normal night. He had dinner and then went to bed. When he woke up, he found his father looking through his phone. He found out that Anthony had been talking to his stepmother, Susan, which made him angry and started an argument between the father and son. Which this sounds odd, like why would you be mad that your son is talking to someone he considered to be his own mother for most of his life? Susan and Bert had separated six months before Anthony was left alone in the house with his father. It was stated that the argument escalated from verbal to physical. Bert punched and grabbed at his son. Anthony told the investigators that he managed to escape from his father and ran to Bert's room where he locked himself inside. Bert started banging on the door trying to force his way into the master bedroom. This is when Anthony began gathering his father's guns. He grabbed two firearms. His explanation for grabbing two was in case one didn't work, and he also felt his life was in danger because he had never seen his father this upset before. When Anthony stated that he gathered two firearms, it raised concern among detectives because through their experience with similar cases, this is something someone does when they are intent on killing another person. In their mind, with their previous experiences, this is not exactly something someone does when they feel their life is in danger. But investigators were able to determine that Bert was trying to force his way into the room. This was evident from the cracks on the bedroom door. Anthony furthered that his father seemed to have injured himself while banging on the door. As he heard him start grunting and the banging had stopped, that's when Anthony seized the opportunity, opening the door and shooting his father. So this case is quite controversial because even though Anthony felt his life was in danger, there were 
windows in his father's room that he could have escaped from. Even though Anthony stated that they were probably locked, there was also a phone in the room which he could have used to call for help. There were other options he could have taken, but to him, he felt like he did not have a choice but to shoot his father because he just wanted it all to end. However, investigators did not feel that Anthony was in any danger because he did not have any bruising or injuries that would indicate that he had been involved in a physical altercation with his father. There were also no medical records of him being seen anywhere at any point in time for any injuries. Besides the door Bert was banging on, the house wasn't disturbed in any way that would lead investigators to believe that there was a physical fight that occurred between the two. However, after Anthony opened the door, Bert headed toward the bathroom, which Anthony followed him, making this pursuit. When in the bathroom, he shot his father in the head and then again. He shot the gun three times, but the third shot missed. So based on probable cause, Anthony's statement and the evidence they gathered from the home that night, they arrested and booked him for attempted manslaughter. Anthony's stepmother, Susan Tomplay, was contacted on June 3rd at 7 in the morning and was told that her husband was, was in trauma neurocritical care. She went to the hospital to see her husband, who was hooked up to a ventilator and a bunch of machines. On June 6th, 2019, Susan made the decision to take him off the machines, where Bert died shortly after. The coroner's office got in touch with the lead investigator to let him know that Bert died. He had two gunshot wounds, but the one that was the most fatal was the gunshot wound to the head. They removed fragments from his head and a bullet from his chest. Because his father died in the hospital, Anthony's charges were upgraded to manslaughter. So it was no longer attempted. It was upgraded to just manslaughter. When reporters learned of this story, they wanted to obtain information about the father and son from neighbors and friends. However, neighbors did not really know anything about the Tomplays. For this area, many of the neighbors knew each other, giving each other the casual greeting as they passed one another, you know, having cookouts and inviting each other over for the current football games, stuff like that. It was a nice neighborhood. The neighbors were all friendly towards each other. But to them, Bert was the oddball of the neighborhood. If they happened to see him, he often appeared drunk. No one really knew much about him. And no one knew anything about Anthony. They had never met or saw Anthony. One neighbor recalled seeing Bert and Anthony at Costco one time, and the son just appeared to be so withdrawn. Susan Table first met Bert in 2008 at a sports bar watching an LSU game on her birthday after her and her first husband had separated. Her friend had introduced her to Bert. The couple would spend their time drinking beer, staying in the pool, and barbecuing. Eventually, Susan moved in with Bert. 
living with him, Anthony, and her son, Peyton. Anthony was seven at the time and appeared to be a very happy, normal seven-year-old child. She stated that she would do stuff with him in the kitchen, like making dinner. And Anthony acted like he had just been given a million dollars. Because he was happy that someone was doing something with him. Susan continued that as Anthony became older, he started to become very quiet and withdrawn. He mostly just stayed to himself. And after this incident where Anthony shot his father, she became scared because she wasn't sure if Anthony would come after her next. Because to her, to the district attorneys, to the officers, everyone just felt like he had no emotion. Susan stated that she could never tell if he was happy, mad, or anything because he just kept the same demeanor. Her son Peyton stated that while he was living in the home, things became more conservative. Like, they couldn't joke as openly when Bert was around. This is why Anthony would spend most of his time in his room because he could not be himself. He was not comfortable around Bert. He was scared when Bert was around. Peyton further stated that Bert loved his son in his own strange way. However, Anthony just despised his father. Anthony stated that Bert always criticized him. Bert always made him feel guilty, like he did something wrong, causing him to always feel sad and guilty. So living in a household like this, you would feel oppressed, basically. You can't be yourself. And that's something that you should be able to be when it comes to your parents. Your parents are supposed to be your safe place. But it's like he was always walking on eggshells. District Attorney Hiller Moore has been working in this system for 40 years, and he has never seen anything like this case. Speaking in terms of how Anthony showed no emotion after admitting that he killed his parent, he stated that people are usually crying, questioning why the person pushed them this far. Why did it come to this? But Anthony, he didn't show any emotion during his interview. He doesn't show guilt, remorse, he isn't crying for his father or for himself. He was just there recounting the events of that night just matter-of-factly. Which I think this is what really perturbs a lot of people. They watch this interview and think, my god, he is a cold-blooded killer. But I watched it and I was like, what the hell did your father do to you? Because if he was this happy-go-lucky child at seven years old, and now he is withdrawn, shows very little emotion, something happened in the home to cause that change in him. I'm not saying that there isn't anything wrong with him mentally, because obviously he was mentally abused, you know, he was mentally and emotionally abused. So, yes, there is going to be problems there. Of course, I'm not a psychologist. That's just my opinion. But I'm saying that it is obvious that there was something more to his actions and his demeanor. But something that struck prosecutors as odd 
was when Anthony was asked his date of birth. He couldn't remember if he was born in 2001 or 2002. That's easy to figure out, right? He was 17. You know, you can figure out what year he was born in from 2019. You'd be able to figure that out. However, he could not recall his home address. This is something that a 17-year-old should definitely know, right? He should definitely know his address. Anthony's criminal defense attorney, Jared Ambo, first heard of Anthony's case in the newspaper and wanted to know more about what happened in that fateful day. He went to the prison where Anthony was being held, but found it was very difficult to get him to talk or share anything about his life. While Jarrett was working with Anthony to receive his story of events, other investigators were interested in finding out what exactly was going on at the Tomplay residence. This is when they got in contact with Bert's best friend named James Tennyson. James knew Bert since they were 15 or 16 years old, but apparently... Even his best friend was left in the dark about certain things. Bert had told him that he would work at plants at times, but James was never really sure what employment Bert had, though he claimed he made a lot of money. James did not have a lot of enlightening encounters with Anthony. He described him as a quiet and well-behaved young man. So when he received the news that he killed his father, it baffled many, including Bert's best friend. But in the end, after everything came to light, his friend was very angry that he did not actually know Bert at all. So the Tomplay residence contained eight security cameras around the house and property. The only room that did not have a camera was the master bedroom. To Susan, this was to keep the family safe. That's how she explained it away in her mind. However, it was soon discovered that the reason for these cameras were much more sinister. There were a few cameras in the driveway and in the carport, where Bert could easily watch his wife bring in groceries and knew exactly how many bags she brought in. Bert was described as being very controlling. He always wanted to know everything and he needed to always know everything that was going on. In February 2018, Anthony started working at a greenhouse nursery because his father knew the the owner named Scott. The reason for Anthony getting a job at this nursery was entirely because of Bert. He would constantly ask Scott if he would give his son a job. But Scott wanted to meet Anthony first so he could get an idea of his personality and whether or not he would be right for the job. The three of them went out to eat to become more acquainted, and every time Scott would ask Anthony a question, Bert would answer it for him. Scott stated that Bert wanted to be in control the whole time. Regardless of Bert's controlling demeanor and not receiving answers from Anthony himself, Scott still employed Anthony. He stated that he knew Anthony was homeschooled, and he had often employed a lot of homeschooled kids. So many of them lacked a certain degree in socializing. So Scott just assumed that this is why Anthony was the way he was at the restaurant. Eventually, he found out that Anthony really couldn't talk. And not in a verbal sense. I mean, he could talk, obviously. But 
My personal opinion about this is that his education level was very low, and he had been kept isolated in his father's house for so many years that he did not have the necessary social skills or vocabulary to accurately convey any message he was trying to get across. Anthony's supervisor at the greenhouse, named Elena Fennell, stated that her first impression of Anthony was that it seemed as though he had never gone outside. He didn't know who famous celebrities were or normal everyday things people do, like giving someone a high five. He didn't know what that was. He didn't understand that interaction. So she just felt like he was seriously neglected. Elena stated that Anthony never visited any of his relatives for the holidays. And at that, he didn't know if he had any grandparents. He never knew his mom and couldn't tell anyone what her name was. Elena had asked where Anthony was at in his schooling, like if he had any classes he enjoyed, stuff like that. But he would never really give her a straight answer, nor would he tell her the subjects or classes, which she felt something was a bit off about this, but it didn't raise red flags that made her feel like she needed to investigate into the matter. She further stated that Bert was keeping track of his son with a GPS tracker on his phone, and he kept really close watch on him with this tracker. Elena stated that there were a couple of times when Bert called her boss saying, Hey, I noticed on Anthony's GPS tracker that he hasn't moved in the last 30 minutes. What's going on? What's he doing? And it was just because he was fertilizing a group of pots in one location. Needless to say, Bert's controlling nature and tab keeping really unsettled the employees. The day Bert was shot, Elena received the news about what happened before heading to work. I should say she knew that Bert was shot and Anthony was the one who did it, but the news coming out was not entirely correct, mostly speculation. Eventually, the thought occurs to her to start looking through Anthony's application, only to find out that Bert was the one who filled it out for him. Elena looked at the field for his education history, to which it showed Kaplan Prep. Researching this, she found out that Kaplan Prep wasn't even a school. It was a website to order standardized testing materials. So... From this, she could only assume that he was never homeschooled. He had no educational background whatsoever. Because Anthony was in a lot of trouble right now, and Elena was digging to find anything that could help him, or at the very least, figure out what was going on between him and his father, she wanted to find out who Anthony's mother was. So this is when she contacts a... DNA genealogy researcher named Shana Landry on June 6th. Shana Landry loves working to find people's long-lost family using DNA, and she has successfully helped 40 people over the years that she has been doing this. She wanted to have a DNA test done on Anthony so she could find his biological mother. 
Unfortunately, where he was imprisoned at at the time would not allow for outside visitors. So she turned to social media trying to find people who knew Anthony blasting groups and so forth to find some of his relatives. Still, there was nothing. Because Anthony was a minor, she knew that none of his information would show up online. So she began conducting research on Bert. Shayna found felonies and misdemeanors, all of which were assault charges. But one that stuck out to her was one that stated, assault with bodily injury to a family member. This charge was filed the same year Anthony was born. She found out that Anthony was born in Texas. So she had a friend who was a private investigator drive out to Houston to see if he could find out more information about the victim in the domestic violence cases against Bert. While her friend was trying to find information in Houston, Shayna continued her investigation at home. She found that a girl named Natasha had previously sent mail to Bert. Because her name is spelled N-E-T-A-S-H-A, it was easy for her to find the girl on Facebook because that is a different way of spelling Natasha. When she started looking through this girl's Facebook page, she began to wonder if she could have been Anthony's sister. Of course, Shayna messaged her asking the question and providing a way for her to reach out to her. Natasha and her mother Teresa immediately called Shayna. Teresa, Natasha, Shayna, and Elena were all talking on the phone to each other about Anthony. This is when Natasha and her mom sent Shayna the missing person poster. Authorities, media, and the public were in shock. Anthony had been stolen from the family home in Texas by Bert in 2008 when Anthony was only five years old. Teresa Thompson remembers her son who loved playing in the yard and planting things. She spent an entire decade wondering if he was still alive, if he was even safe. She remembers the happy child that he was when he was five. When Teresa first met Bert, she was going through a divorce while working at a crab shack in Ingleside, Texas. Her two children, Matthew and Natasha, were roughly 9 and 12 at the time. Bert came into the restaurant where Teresa was working while he was in town working for an oil company. After a quirky joke, she started hanging out with Bert. Teresa and Bert were living together when he was offered a job in Houston, so they all moved with him in 2000. She wanted a better life for her children and thought that moving to Houston could provide them with more opportunities. But living with Bert proved to be a big mistake. It wasn't long before Teresa started to see who Bert truly was. She claims that Bert demanded attention on him from the moment he walked in until he was asleep. She had to be entirely attentive of him and his needs. Teresa recalls a time while she was cooking and cleaning, Bert was making a Bloody Mary and wanted her to look at him. But she was preoccupied and didn't. 
She stated that he came around to stare directly at her, making sure Teresa was staring at him as he karate chopped a stool. Which I thought that was kind of weird, but you know, to each his own. After this, she stated that Bert became even crazier. This is when she found out that he was into a lot of cocaine. Teresa's mother stated that her daughter became quiet and she could tell that she was sad. She visited her daughter in Houston to try and figure out what was going on, but only found that Bert really did not want her there. He did not want her to see what was going on. As the relationship continued, Teresa said her world became smaller as she felt that she was being controlled daily by Bert's erratic moods. She described him as having a very short temper, which caused him to go off over everything. She claimed that one time Bert had beat her so bad that she couldn't get out of bed for a week. She does not know why she stayed with him, but feels that it was mainly due to fear at this point. However, Teresa came from an abusive household. She was raised in a home where her stepfather would SA her. This caused her to develop a coping mechanism where she would intentionally block out and forget any and all types of abuse. But it appears that physical abuse runs deep in her family as Teresa's mother was also raised in an abusive household. Up to this point, she believed that Bert never had children and thought he wasn't able to have children. So when she found out that she was pregnant with Anthony, she was completely shocked. Needless to say, her mother was not happy about the pregnancy because she did not like Bert at all. And above all, she knew that their relationship could not handle having a baby. Even after having Anthony, she continued receiving abuse regularly from Bert. In 2002, Bert took off with Anthony when he was only seven months old. Teresa immediately called 911. On the phone with the dispatcher, she said that he took off with the baby after he had beat her. Officers chased after Bert, but according to Teresa, he was a very good manipulator. And even though the authorities caught him, they let him go. Leaving Teresa feeling like there was no help and no hope for her. When he returned home with the baby, he never apologized or acknowledged his actions. Bert just acted like nothing ever happened. In 2006, Bert told Teresa that they needed to get life insurance. But Teresa told him that she was not going to get life insurance with him. She just had a feeling that if she signed a life insurance policy with Bert, he would kill her just for the money. After this, she would write notes and she would hide them throughout the house. The notes stated, if I die, Bert did it. I couldn't imagine living like that, could you? One night, one of Bert's friends came to the house screaming at Teresa that she needed to leave right now because Bert had hired him to kill her. The friend told her that he wasn't going to kill her, but said that she really needed to leave. 
She scurried around the house to grab her son and some of her things, but the friend was adamantly yelling at her to stop grabbing her things. He was like, you just need to get the hell out of here. Not long after this, he left the house because he saw Bert coming. So the friend just left. When Bert suddenly returned home, he burst through the door angrily, stating that he was going to kick his ass before leaving again. Teresa believed that Bert left to find the friend who warned her. When he came home the next day, Bert pretended that nothing occurred the night before. He didn't talk about it or anything. Fortunately, not too long after this, Teresa leaves. So after this incident, the following weeks, Teresa was just trying to plan her escape from Bert with Anthony. When his parents came to visit, she was in the kitchen making breakfast, a pork chop and eggs. The choice to make pork chops angered Bert, which for Teresa, this is a normal food that they eat for breakfast where she is from. In front of his parents, he threw a glass of milk at her face, threw plates at her face, and grabbed her by the back of the head and just started pulling her hair. To which she stated she lost a lot of hair during this row. She recalled his parents begging him to stop, and they appeared scared. This is when Bert told his parents to leave. Teresa stated that she was going to leave with them, but she needed to get Anthony. He had Anthony wrapped tightly in his arms and told her, you aren't taking my son anywhere. Instead of fighting more about it, she just got in the car with Bert's parents. She stated that she was afraid that if she pressed it any further, then Bert would have her and her family killed. I don't know about you, but I would have went straight to authorities because in her current state, I think they would have taken her account seriously because, I mean, she was missing hair and her face was badly bruised. Even if his parents didn't back her up, her showing up at the police station like that would cause some serious eyebrow raises, right? She was terrified of staying with Bert, but also so scared for leaving Anthony with him. Teresa Hedbert's parents dropped her off on the freeway where she walked to a bus station to go to her mom's house. Her mother hadn't seen her in a while and when she showed up, it was quite shocking. Teresa was very skinny and with what just happened, I mean, her hair was pulled out. After returning home to her mom, she felt broken. Teresa stated that she had to lay in bed for weeks from the physical and emotional injuries. Leaving her child behind with Bert made the recovery that much more unbearable for her. Teresa knew she needed to go back to Houston in order to get Anthony away from Bert. However, when she arrived at the house, there was no one there. That's when she decided she needed to get a lawyer. According to experts, people who choose to leave a domestic abuse relationship usually see the abuse increase. This is why those in the situation tend to stay. 
So Teresa went to the lawyers seeking assistance for a civil protective order in custody of Anthony. With this type of a relationship, it is very common to expect a lengthy custody battle because the child is leverage. The child is one of the ultimate ways to hurt the other parent. The protective order was filed in March 2007, and the custody hearing was scheduled in April 2007. However, Bert never showed up, which ultimately gave Teresa custody but he never handed him over. They just disappeared. Teresa began making flyers of her missing child, putting them up in the Inglewood area and in Houston. She would check school rosters for Anthony or Bert's name. But then one day, she decided she was going to call Bert's parents when Anthony picked up the phone. Anthony told his mother that he had been searching for her, to which she obviously told him that she was looking for him too. So she quickly just bolted to Baton Rouge. When she got to Bert's parents' home, she was knocking on their door, calling Anthony's name. Teresa stated that she could hear him in the background, but no one would answer the door. So she started putting up missing flyers around the neighborhood because she wanted everyone to know that he had been kidnapped. Which, I know the police failed her before, but I think in this situation, I mean, you have the paper stating that you have custody of your child. I think she should have just called the cops, like, right then and there. But, I mean, that's just me. Teresa showing up and putting flyers around the neighborhood made Bert very angry. She ends up going to court in Baton Rouge with several court orders from Texas, where they made him turn Anthony over to her. Teresa remembers on the way home to Texas, Anthony was very happy. He was happy to be outside, making her believe that while he was with Bert, he had been locked inside the whole entire time. After returning home, she believed that she would never see Bert again, but she always had a feeling that Bert was watching her. He was parked in the woods behind her home, watching her house. But she never knew. She felt like she was being watched, but I mean, she couldn't ever prove it. So over time, Teresa started to let her guard down and allow Anthony to play in the backyard. There was one occasion where her mother told her that there was a truck in the backyard, but couldn't tell if the person in the vehicle was anyone she knew. It was later found that there was a private investigator surveilling their home for three days in a row before they saw Anthony. At the end of this report, it stated that Bert was en route and was making contact with Ingleside Police. On June 15, 2007, there was a knock at Teresa's door. Her mother answered it because Teresa was out of town with a friend at the time. Opening the door, she saw that the person who knocked on it was a cop. It was only one cop. He did not have a partner with him, nothing. He did have a police car, and he was wearing a uniform. So she knew that he was an actual cop. The officer stated that he was there to pick up Anthony and that his father wanted him. Teresa's mother didn't really know what to do in this situation because 
she didn't think it was legal for a police officer to come to the house to collect a child whose father had no custody over him whatsoever. However, she felt that she had no right to fight or argue with a police officer, so she just let Anthony go with him. Teresa's mother called her over the phone to let her know that Bert took Anthony. Teresa was very upset with her mother for allowing it to happen. But really, it is more concerning that she had all of these court orders and court documents stating that she had custody of the child, that Bert was to stay away from both of them. And yet, Bert was still able to somehow turn the tables and take Anthony using a police officer. What happened was that Bert filed his own lawsuits against Teresa in Louisiana. So the Baton Rouge court had no idea about the proceedings in Texas. He made Teresa out to be this crazy person who uses drugs. He continued spouting off all this nonsense to make her seem like a horrible parent. Bert was granted temporary full custody of Anthony from this court. Technically, Bert did not physically kidnap Anthony. He used the family court system and his lawyer to take the child away from Teresa. At this point, she wanted to fight for Anthony, but she just didn't have any other resources to file any more lawsuits against Bert. Bert made Anthony believe that his mother was nothing more than a junkie who didn't want anything to do with him. He planted this in his mind so that he would have no reason to look for her. Anthony's half-sister, Natasha, contacted a Baton Rouge news station to tell them that her and her mother had been searching for Anthony for 11 years. She further told them that Anthony had been abused by this evil man. Upon this statement being released, District Attorney Hiller Moore stated that they were investigating the matter further. However, there seemed to be some conflicting stories pertaining to whether Anthony truly was a missing person because their allegations against Bert Tomplay was not standing firm. When Shayna contacted the Baton Rouge Sheriff's Office to inform them of Bert kidnapping Anthony when he was five years old from Texas, they started a follow-up investigation into this claim, but they could not find Anthony listed in the NCIC, also known as National Crime Information Center database. Bert did not have any warrants, and he was not wanted for any crimes. There was nothing for authorities to go on. Jarrett Ambo, Anthony's attorney, needed to find out more information about Anthony in order to fully represent him, because he is guilty of shooting and killing his father. There's no question about that. The question is whether Anthony's actions were justifiable. You can claim that it was self-defense, but no one really knew what was going on behind closed doors. Jarrett was hoping there would be enough evidence to keep Anthony from going to trial and prevent him from serving prison time for manslaughter, which could hold 0 to 40 years. 
But it wasn't looking good for Anthony as the grand jury took everything that they knew at this point and upgraded his charges to second degree murder. Manslaughter is basically killing someone without premeditation or intent, while second degree murder is killing another person with the specific intent to kill somebody. Another reason that his charges were upgraded to second degree murder is due to the fact that Bert ran to the bathroom to which Anthony followed him. He asked his son not to shoot, but Anthony then shot him multiple times. Which, in all fairness, Anthony pretty much admitted to this because when he was locked in the master bedroom, he had a choice to find other means for help, but had the thought that he just wanted it all to end. So, with these definitions and what we know of what happened on June 3rd, upgrading the charges would sound justifiable, right? But, again, Anthony never said anything otherwise and fully admits to killing his father. What really makes this case blur the lines between right and wrong for many people is whether or not his circumstances were special enough to have the charges and his actions overlooked in court. When Anthony was indicted on the second degree murder charges, he was automatically changed from the juvenile justice system into the adult system. This worried Jarrett because in essence, Anthony was still a child. He didn't receive proper education and stuff. And now he is in a prison with hardened and violent criminals at 17 years old. Mind you, there are some terrible 17 year olds out there that should be placed in this environment, but I don't know how to feel about this. What are your thoughts? So, with this charge being upgraded to second degree murder, his bail was set at $100,000. Anthony and his lawyer really did not want to bring this case to court. Anthony's main concern was that they would not treat him fairly. He stated that his intent that night was not to kill him. He just didn't want his dad to kill him. When asked what he thought would happen when his father was shot, Anthony stated that he just thought his father would hit the ground and that was it. He thought he would call 911 Medics would arrive, save his father, and this would get Anthony out of his care. Surprisingly, the judge decreased his bond so that Anthony could seek counseling, which meant that he was required to submit to regular mental health screenings and evaluations. He must be tracked by a GPS monitoring device, and he needed to come back into court every 30 days. Jarrett stated that when the judge allowed for this, Anthony had been in jail for about six months by this point. Jarrett bargained with the judge stating that this is a kid who isn't going to be served by sitting in a jail cell. He doesn't have any history of violence and being in is detrimental to his ability to defend himself. Jarrett had a psychologist come and evaluate Anthony who stated that he did not feel Anthony was a danger to society or other people in a controlled environment. So this is when the judge allowed for Anthony to be let out on bond. Some were afraid when Anthony was let out on bond because 
he was completely emotionless. You couldn't read him. You never knew what he was feeling. Which, I can tell you from watching the interviews and the documentary, he does seem pretty emotionless. He hides his emotions very well. Many pegged him to be a psychopath because of his lack of emotions, even from not shedding a tear after killing his father. But again, my personal opinion, I don't really know what to make of him showing no emotions because he is also the product of his father's negligence and abuse. Susan Tomplay and her son Peyton eagerly awaited for Anthony to be released from jail, which was kind of surprising to me because she did initially state that she was worried that Anthony would kill her next. But whatever the case, I was glad to see that he had a family happily waiting for him. Susan and Peyton hugged Anthony when they finally saw him leaving the prison gates. As Susan told him that she loved him, even though she is his stepmother, she was there for him for the better part of his life. So she feels that he is her son. Not just that, she knows that Anthony has no one else. Peyton even stated that he was there to stand behind Anthony. If he needed to go to court and sit in the witness stand, then that's what he was fully prepared to do. While Susan was living with Anthony and Bert, she had taken it upon herself to teach Anthony how to write his own name, his birthday, learn his phone number, and learn his address. Bert had told her that Anthony was being homeschooled by his grandmother, but as the months went on, she noticed that he wasn't being taught anything. She started to teach him his ABCs when he was 10 years old. She taught Anthony addition, subtraction, and multiplication. But when it came to division, Bert told her not to teach him that because he could just use a calculator. Susan stated that she had discussed with Bert putting Anthony in school. But with the education level he was at, they felt that it would be very uncomfortable for him because he would have been a 16-year-old boy in a classroom full of third or fourth graders. Back to the reasoning for why I feel Susan probably had a change of heart of whether Anthony was going to kill her or not was because after Bert died, she found a folder of his marked parents file. This gave her more insight into Bert that she never knew about. Inside the folder, she found the missing person flyer among numerous court documents. From this folder, she found out that about eight months before meeting Bert, he had kidnapped Anthony from his biological mother, whom he had told her was dead. She found police reports stating that Teresa was crazy. Another alarming thing she found was handwritten notes where he had been parked outside her trailer. Bert was stalking Teresa. These other documents she found were from when he took temporary custody of Anthony using the Louisiana justice system. Jared hired a forensic psychologist to help with Anthony's case because there wasn't any physical proof of any abuse happening in the home, which a mock jury pointed out. In order to help Anthony's case, he needed to find evidence of any kind. 
The psychologist was hired in order to understand Anthony's mindset leading up to the shooting. Susan stated that whenever Bert came home from work, everyone was anxious. It was like walking on eggshells whenever he was around. According to Anthony, the moment Bert would see something that he didn't like, he would instantly become mad. His mood could change within a split second. The psychologist found that Anthony was always on the lookout. He was always studying his father's behavior to determine what mood he was in. However, this wasn't always helpful because Bert was so unpredictable in his violent outbursts. So you never knew when he was about to go off. Talking to neighbors, they stated that they had called authorities a few times because they suspected that Susan and or Anthony was being abused. Anthony would receive the brunt of the force, being punched and kicked, and he stated that it could last up to a few hours. Even when Peyton lived in the home, he recalled Bert shoving him and calling him fat ass. He would even throw a Jenga box as hard as he could at his head. Peyton eventually called his father to come get him because he could not put up with living there with Bert anymore. After Peyton was picked up by his father, he had a police officer dispatched to the Tomplay residence. The police officer was talking to Bert, but when Anthony came out, he looked directly at him and asked him if Bert was physically abusing him. Anthony told him no. He told the officer that he had never witnessed Susan be beaten and that he was never beaten by Bert. This was captured on the family's security cameras outside. But the problem with this is that many people feel that this was an opportunity to say something so he could have been taken away. But Bert was standing right there. He was visibly upset that someone had called the police on him. Personally, I feel that because Anthony could see how upset his father was, he didn't want to say anything because he was scared of his father. Susan stated that the physical abuse occurred weekly, while verbal abuse was every other day. The forensic psychologist interviewed Anthony asking him what in his living situation changed in the months leading up to the shooting. The one significant change he stated occurred was when Susan left. When she left, he felt like it was the beginning of the end. The night before Susan left, she stated that Bert and her were arguing in the bedroom. When Bert punched her in the face and then walked away from her. Then he turned back around with what Susan described as the most satanic look in his eyes and told her, you have no idea what I'm capable of, little girl. The next morning, Susan called a hotel and booked a room for two months. This wasn't alarming to Anthony at the time because Susan had left Bert before. Susan's brother asked her if Anthony was going to be safe in the house without her there, which Susan said that Anthony would be fine. Her brother stated in the I Just Killed My Father documentary that he thinks that Susan 
was never really concerned about something happening to Anthony. But Susan knew that if she tried to take Anthony away from Bert, then she would be dead. She felt that she had no choice but to leave Anthony behind because she felt that she would never be safe. She knew that Bert would find her. She eventually went to the police department to file a restraining order against Bert, citing that he threatened her life. The restraining order was used in Anthony's defense as evidence of Bert's abuse. In the report, it showed that while Susan and Bert were arguing, Bert punched her in the face, causing severe bruising to the left side of her face, and her left eye was bleeding and was partially closed. The reports of all the instances of his abuse dated all the way back to the early 90s. The protective orders also made it apparent that alcohol and violence were consistent in Bert's life. However, it was also pointed out that the abuse was never reported when it came to Anthony. How could you not report the abuse of a minor? Which I will state that all of us could say that we would report abuse against a minor, but there is also a problem in this. So, to stay unbiased about the situation regarding Susan and Teresa, I can only say that I have never been in an abusive relationship. So, I cannot say what I would have done in that situation. Where Anthony was biologically Teresa's son, Susan was not. So, the laws and what she can actually do change drastically in this situation. Also, because I live in Louisiana, I have heard some pretty bad stories when it came to CPS. With this restraining order and the question of whether Anthony really was abused, from everything we have learned about Bert Tomplay, I think it is safe to say that Anthony experienced many different traumas throughout his childhood. While investigators are still uncertain whether or not Anthony experienced physical abuse, we can see that he has experienced psychological abuse and neglect while in his father's care. After Susan left, Anthony stated that his father started drinking way more than usual. He stated that on a bad day, it would heighten the abuse. In weeks leading up to the shooting, Bert was consuming roughly 24 beers a day. His personality seemed to have changed as well as Anthony stated that his father started to become very religious during this time. Bert started putting crosses up on the walls and telling Anthony that he was evil and demonic. Officers were coming to the house daily to try to serve Bert papers. When they would come, he would turn off all the lights in the house and hide. He even made Anthony hide. During this time, Bert decided to start carrying loaded guns on him in the home. One such instance described to them was when a sheriff's deputy came to the Tomplay home to serve Bert papers from Susan. Bert was hiding behind the front door with a loaded shotgun in his hand. The psychologist stated that Anthony described his home as a war zone during this time frame. With his father constantly on edge every day, in response to his father's sudden change, Anthony stayed to himself, stayed out of his father's sight so he could survive in his home. 
he would remain in his room all day, every day, just to stay away from his father. Anthony stated that everything he did would annoy his father, so he would just try to make himself as invisible as possible. Bert never allowed Anthony to go to school, because if he went, then obviously you know his mother would find him. But also, if he didn't go, then no one would be able to figure out what was going on inside the house. He never allowed his son to have friends. So with that, Anthony wouldn't be able to tell them what was going on inside the home. Also, while he was younger, he was never allowed to go play with other children outside or anything like that. He was never taken to see a doctor. He had never been to the dentist. Anthony never received any routine medical care. That's why there is no evidence of abuse toward Anthony. So in essence, Bert created this little bubble where it was only Anthony and him. While Bert could interact with the outside world, all Anthony had was him. The sheriff's office had tried unsuccessfully to serve Bert papers for two months. Susan was becoming aggravated by the situation, obviously, but the officers told her that they couldn't force him to accept the papers. So her brother told her that he would help her get the papers served to Bert. Her brother and his son would go to the house knocking on the door, banging on the door. The son would look through the windows of the house and see him just sitting at a table, ignoring them. Another time, Susan Payton, her brother, and his son showed up at the Tomplay house to collect some furniture while Bert wasn't home. Anthony was there and told his dad that, you know, Susan and her family were there. Bert told his son not to open the door, not to let them in, because they were there to beat Anthony up. So Anthony was in the house, scared out of his mind that these people he once considered family was there to hurt him. Susan opens the door and immediately calls out to Anthony to just chill out, that they weren't there for him, they weren't going to hurt him. Her brother notices that there was a rifle in the corner of the living room and there was a shotgun on top of a dresser. As the family started moving some of the furniture, Bert came flying into the driveway in his truck, screaming at Susan and her brother. Then he ends up getting back in his truck and locking the doors. They threw the papers into his truck as he sped off out of the neighborhood, so he did get served his papers. Roughly three days after this incident, Susan went online to a website called nextdoor.com to post the image of her restraining order, which showed everything that Bert had done to her. Nextdoor is a website where you can connect and communicate with your neighbors. People immediately responded to her post, and the post was quite lengthy as she described everything that was happening. She stated that she wanted everyone to know just who they were living next to. All the neighbors knew what Bert had done to Susan now, and he would still walk around the neighborhood with a smile on his face. But even though Bert walked around as if this didn't bother him, Anthony saw his father crumbling from this in the house as he walked around with his gun. 
from his dad's erratic behavior, he knew that there was something more than just alcohol going on. Susan later found out that Bert had lost his job due to poor performance and he had $80,127 in credit card debt. So now in this perspective, Bert lost control over everything that he had meticulously put in order. His wife left him, he was in debt, and he had no job. Everything was coming to a head. The psychologist stated that we could only assume that Bert was in a desperate mental state at this time. Most likely reckless, as if he had nothing left to lose. With all of this, you can only imagine the amount of fear Anthony was living through because of his unhinged father. Now, his father was walking around with a loaded gun on his hip. What was to say he didn't feel that his life was truly in danger? The psychologist asked Anthony why this happened on this particular night. What caused this to happen on this night? Anthony told her that he was asleep in his room when his father barged in and accused him of being in contact with Susan, which Bert had forbidden Anthony from contacting her. He especially did not want him talking to her unless he was there. He asked his dad why he was going through his phone. He found out that Anthony had been in contact with Susan and he wanted to know what was being said. Bert had no control over what the two were talking about or what was being said about him, which made him angry. They began arguing, then it turned into violence. His father lunged at him in an attempt to begin attacking him, but Anthony was able to retreat into his father's bedroom. Bert was trying to burst the door down after Anthony locked it. He then went and grabbed the two guns that were on a shelf in the bedroom. Anthony felt like this was the worst he had ever seen his father and that his life was in danger. He felt like if he called the police, they would just bring him back to his father. So there was this distrust with the legal system which I think everyone can agree that there are detrimental flaws within the legal system. There is always going to be someone who slips between the cracks. So for me, I can completely understand this line of thinking. With his father being so unhinged, Anthony stated that he felt he was in a situation where it was basically kill or be killed. So with everything coming to light, with how Anthony grew up, his experiences, and so forth, you can tell that Anthony wanted the abuse to stop. You can tell that Anthony wanted the abuse to stop. It was made apparent in his mind that the only way to make it stop for good was to kill his father. In 2021, Anthony's defense was trying to figure out where they were at in the case and begin negotiations with the district attorney to determine what is the best interest of Anthony at trial. In this meeting, everyone determined it would be of greater interest for Anthony to plead guilty because the risk was so great. 
But this case was so unusual with special circumstances, it had everyone conflicted on how to feel. But even if you have him plead guilty to manslaughter, what is that going to teach Anthony? He never had a life. Never knew the joy of freedom. What would locking him up in prison teach him? At this, I would say locking him up would only make him more dangerous because prisons are a dangerous place with very dangerous people. On January 26, 2021, Jarrett went on record with the district attorneys stating that no one in his family witnessed Bert physically abusing Anthony, but they were not surprised by his actions and did not want him to go to jail for it. But Anthony's stepmother and stepbrother told them that they had witnessed Bert physically abuse Anthony and were more than happy and willing to testify in court. The forensic psychologist stated that Anthony showed no sign of being a danger to himself or others, and that while interviewing him, he hit every marker for a child who lived a life filled with abuse. Jarrett wanted more for his client. He requested that Anthony's charges be changed to negligent homicide and probation. With everything that authorities learned about Anthony's past and his living conditions with his controlling father who never allowed him to have a life, who never taught him how to survive, the DA agreed to the change in his charges to negligent homicide and probation. And I'm not going to lie, when I saw this in the documentary, I had tears in my eyes. I became so emotional over this, not because I was angry, but but just seeing his lawyer, stepmother, his stepbrother, and Anthony himself just smiling and happy. Like, I think that's probably the first time anyone really saw Anthony show any emotion. You saw them all hit with a sense of relief from the verdict and it was just very emotional. He has been given a chance to become a functioning adult of society. While he does have some hurdles to go through because of the way he was raised, Anthony is given a lot of resources, a lot of care, and a lot of attention to get him to where he needs to be at. This case proved to everyone that every case has special circumstances. And everyone involved felt that justice was served for this case because of the circumstances Anthony was raised in. And really, it is just heartbreaking to see that from this violent act, everyone pulled together to show their love and support for him. Like, it's just unbelievable that it took him being pushed that far for someone to finally say, you know, hey, it's okay, I got your back. You know what I mean? I'm not condoning violence, nor am I trying to say anything negative about, you know, Anthony's family or authorities, nothing like that. It's just astounding how often things like this goes on right under our very noses. So on March 1st, 2021, he was given his probation sentence and the so-called crime could be expunged from his record after he completes his probation. He was sentenced to five years of supervised probation with credit for the time he had already served. As part of his sentence, Anthony Tomplay was given the special condition of obtaining his high school diploma, as well as attending counseling and finding full-time employment or education. 
If he meets all of the above requirements, his criminal record will be wiped. So this case was wild with many twists and turns. It was very astonishing to cover and watch unfold. What do you think of this case? Do you think justice was served? Thank you for listening. As always, stay safe and I will see you for the next episode. Bye.